0: To another episode of Filter. This is a podcast where we seek to equip you to live with biblical clarity in our chaotic world. Uh, I'm your host, Aaron Champ, and uh, I'm just excited that you join us for another episode here at Filter. And so, what we're doing this episode is we're doing something looking at uh, something that's more of a, a church issue, and uh, we're doing this because aside from um, me being a podcast host, I am also a pastor of a local church. That's actually my full time role, and uh, this podcast is really an extension of that ministry. And so one thing that we are doing at uh, the local church that I pastor right now is we are going through a process in uh, installing our very first elder board. Um, ever since we got started back in 2014, we started with uh, with me alone being the only elder, but now we're reaching a point in our growth and maturity where we are ready to add on uh, some other people who are going to be joining in with me and leading the church in the role of church elder. And so uh, I thought it'd be a good idea to do a couple of podcast episodes for you guys who are listeners to the podcast, uh, as well as to uh, help the members uh, of our church understand what church elders are, what it's all about, and so on. And so that's what we're doing here. Uh, we're going to do this in a couple of parts and, uh, and look at what the Bible says about elders, um, who they are, what they do, uh, and so on. And so, uh, whoever you are, whether you are a member of Redeemer or not, I hope that this is uh, really helpful for you. And so, we're going to start right off with looking at uh, what are church elders. And so, uh, we're going to do a definition first, a basic definition, and then look at um, some scriptures that explain elders to us, and then also talk about uh, the biblical qualifications for church elders. And so, just starting off with a definition of what church elders are. So first off, it's important that we understand that church elders are uh, referring to an office and not uh, a generation. By that I mean like a, a demographic uh, in a local congregation, who, which is like the older demographic, the, the, the elder people. Whenever we talk about elders in the church or uh, whenever we see elders being talked about in the New Testament, Uh, it's not referring to just the older people in terms of age in the church, but it's referring to uh, an office. Uh, It's using some Greek words which are always used in terms of uh, this leadership role in the church. And we can be getting into those here uh, in a little bit. But you know, just an example of that is that uh, Timothy, whenever Paul was writing to him in 1st and 2nd Timothy, was a leader, was one of the elders of the church in Ephesus. Um, But we also know from reading those letters that Timothy was one one of the younger people in that congregation because Paul encouraged him. He said, don't let anyone look down on you because of your youth. Uh, And yet he is uh, one of the, was one of the leaders of that church. And so uh, elders is not something that is referring once again to uh, a demographic or generation in the church, but it's referring to what is an office of the church. So let me give you my simple definition, which is that an elder is a shepherding role in the church. And so by this, that means that shepherds are responsible for teaching, for praying for the members, for caring for the members, for protecting uh, the teaching and protecting the members, and then leading the flock in the various leadership responsibilities that there are. We're going to be getting more into the roles and what elders do uh, in the next part, Uh, And and that'll help, you know, give some insights to this definition. But for now, that's a good simple definition for us, which is really that elders are shepherds in the church. Uh, There's a guy named Jeremy Wren who wrote a really good book uh, called Church Elders. This book right here. Good book. He wrote a book called Church Elders. And in that book, he explains that being an elder is not like a few things that we often think of when we often think of what elders do in a church. So a church elder is not, uh, it's not like being a minister at, at a school where all they're there for is doing administrative tasks, uh, and, and so on, not what like a church elder does. A church elder is not also like running a company. So it's not like the, uh, the CEO, the CFO and so on, uh, that you have in a business running, a uh, being a church elder is also not like just serving on a board of trustees that provides some kind of uh, oversight to the operations of an organization or some accountability to you know, some of those top leaders, such as the CEO, CFO, and so on. Um, being a church elder uh, involves some aspects of, of these things, like being a school administrator, because uh, church elders are doing, uh, they have somewhat of an administrative role in their leadership Um, They also serve somewhat of a uh, role like a CEO would in casting vision for the church. Uh, And they also provide accountability to the various uh, ministries and to the leaders in that church. But uh, this is not primarily uh, what elders are for, and especially whenever the New Testament talks about elders. This is not primarily what they are for. Instead, uh, Jeremy Wren said this in his book. He said, Jesus gave Apostles, this will be his twelve disciples, the apostles, Jesus gave apostles and then elders to tend his flock as under shepherds until he returns. Ephesians 4, 7 through 13 and 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. Elders are Jesus's assistants for shepherding his churches. End quote. And so once again, uh, an elder is primarily a shepherd, and that shepherd is responsible for teaching, praying, caring, protecting. And leading the flock. Here's another good uh, definition from a guy who wrote a book called biblical eldership, Alexander Strach, or Strauch. Uh, it's probably Strauch. He says this. He said, according to the New Testament concept of eldership, elders lead the church, teach and preach the word, protect the church from false teachers, exhort and admonish the saints in sound doctrine, visit the sick and pray and judge doctrinal issues. In biblical terminology, elders shepherd, oversee, lead, and care for the local church. So let's look at what uh, where we see elders in Scripture uh, and what the Bible has to say about this office of the church. So first of all, the New Testament uses the terms elder, Overseer and even shepherd or pastor interchangeably. I'm going to give you several examples of that here in a minute. Uh, but but like I said before, whenever uh, I said how, uh, whenever the New Testament talks about elders, it's talking about that office and not just the older people. One of the reasons we know that is because of the Greek. Uh, in the Greek, whenever Paul or Peter or whoever else is talking about the elders of the church, um, they are using either the word presbyteros uh, in the Greek, which is the word for elder, or episkopos which is the word for overseer, whenever they're referring to this role, And so not just your typical words for um, someone who, who is older in age. And so the New Testament uses these terms, elder, overseer, pastor, shepherd, interchangeably in the New Testament. Consider a few examples. Uh, so first, this one is from Acts chapter 20, uh, verses 17 and the verse 28. In verse 17, it says, Now from Miletus, he, who is Paul, sent to Ephesus and summoned the elders of the church. And then later on in verse 28, whenever he's talking to the elders, he says, be on guard for yourselves and for all of the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So once again, there we see that interchangeability of these terms. uh, And we especially once again, see also that these are not just a board of trustees, but that they are shepherds uh, who are overseeing the flock that uh, Jesus purchased with his blood. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1-4, through four, Peter said, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. Shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not out of greed for money, but eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So right there in that passage, you can see uh, a lot of what I've already brought up, uh, the uh, interchangeability of the words, elder, shepherd, overseer, the primary role of elders being uh, shepherds to the church. And also uh, like that quote from Jeremy Wren, which said that elders are like uh, under shepherds or assistant shepherds to Jesus, because here Peter refers to Jesus as the chief shepherd. Uh, let's consider a few more things that the New Testament has to say about elders. So this is our second point, which is that the New Testament always refers to a plurality of elders leading a local congregation. And so this gets to what I was talking about earlier with the relevance uh, of this episode to what we're doing in my church and in our church leadership right now, which is that uh, in, in the initial beginning of the church and its uh, founding, planting and then growing it, uh, I was advised that it would be most wise for me to be the single elder uh, just for a period of time in our churches, uh, in the beginning of our church's life, uh, just to keep things simple and especially to protect the integrity uh, 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 of the church's leadership whenever the church is young and very unstable, vulnerable during that time. So if you have one elder that protects from, you know, uh, having a, uh, a board of elders that could become easily divided in the younger days of a church and so uh so here's where our church redeemer is trying to move from being a single elder-led church to a plurality elder-led church and here are some scriptures just a, a sampling just a few some scriptures that point to uh, the new Testament model, which is that you always have a team or a, 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 a plurality of elders. So let's consider some of these. So in Acts chapter 14, verse 23, uh, this is referring to Paul and Barnabas, whenever they were on one of their missionary journeys. And it says when they had appointed elders, once again, plural, they appointed elders for them in every church and prayed with fasting, they committed them to the Lord. So this is after Paul and Barnabas had uh, been planting several churches in a region uh, called uh, Lystra and Derbe. After they had planted multiple local congregations in all these various areas, it says that they appointed elders, plural, in each church. So not just one elder here, one over there, but elders in each local congregation. Here's another one from Acts in chapter 16, verse 4. It says, as they traveled through the towns, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem for the people to observe. And so what this is referring to is right after this event that we call the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15. You can go and read about that, where uh, the leaders of the church in Jerusalem got together and asked themselves, what does it mean for Gentiles to become uh, Christians, a part of the church, because up until this point, the church had only been Jewish, and so they never really had to ask that question: uh, What does a Christian who is not a Jew look like? So they talk about that together, and Paul is, as the primary missionary to the Gentiles, is going back around visiting all the churches that he had planted and sharing the news with them. And it's interesting what it says about that Jerusalem Council that the decision was reached by the apostles. So once again, these were uh, Jesus's uh, eleven disciples, because the 12th, Judas, right, was no longer alive at this point. This was, his 11 apostles, uh, the 12th to replace Judas, and then uh, Paul himself. So it says the, the apostles and elders. And so even beneath the apostles in the church in Jerusalem at this time, they had a plurality of elders leading that church. Okay, let's move on to some others. There's more in Acts, but we're going to look at some others. In First Timothy 4, verses 14, it says, don't neglect the gift that is in you. It was given to you through prophecy with a laying on of hands by the council of elders. So once again, we see plurality there in Titus one, five, Paul writes to Titus. The reason I left you in Crete was to set right what was left undone. And as I directed you to appoint elders, plural in every town. So it's interesting here how Paul, uh, in his mind, church planning is not done uh, and building a church is not complete unless there is a plurality of elders leading every local congregation. Lastly, James 5, 14. James wrote, if anyone is anyone sick among you, he should call for the elders of the church and they are to pray over him. So a few examples or, or several examples of the plurality of elders that we see in the New Testament. And these are just a few examples. There's a lot, a lot more. And so let's talk about the qualifications for elders. Now, the primary place that we find the biblical quali- qualifications for elders is in uh, 1 Timothy chapters 2 and 3, and then in Titus 1. Now we see a couple of things. And so uh, we're going to take these one by one when it comes to the biblical qualifications for elders. Uh, we're going to, we're going to look at this a little deep. Um, so first of all, we believe that the New Testament teaches that the role of church elder is reserved for male leadership. This is the position of my church, of uh, this is the position of Redeemer, and uh, we believe this based on a few different points. Um, I can't go into too much depth here just for the sake of time, uh, but I will give you a place to go if you want to research this topic a little bit deeper. But as for our church, as for, as for the church that I lead, uh, we believe that it's the biblical position that uh, church elders are reserved for male leadership. So just a few reasons why. First of all, whenever you read the Bible, once again, all of Jesus's apostles were men. He chose 12 men to be his uh, this, his 12 disciples, to be his apostles, to be his the main leaders of the church. Now, We know from reading the gospels that among the broader group of his of his disciples um there were there were many women right it was men and women but as for uh the leaders of his new church that he would uh that would be started after his uh ministry death and resurrection uh these were all men also in acts chapter one whenever the apostles uh get together to decide how and who are they going to choose to uh, replace judas who you know if you know the story Uh, Turned out to be a traitor, uh, committed suicide. Whatever they chose, uh, they didn't choose from among uh, any options of men and women, but they only chose from men and then chose a man to replace Judas. So that's one point. Uh, Secondly, all the elders who are mentioned uh, in Acts or anywhere else in the New Testament as leaders in churches were men as well. Now, uh, female leaders are mentioned in Acts, and they're mentioned uh, in some of Paul's shout-outs in some of his letters uh, later on in the New Testament. Uh, but once again, uh, whenever we see any reference to the elders of a church, you know the, uh, that, that specific office who were leading the church in the Word and in prayer, uh, these were always men. Lastly, and I think what is the most clear example, is in 1 Timothy 2. In 1 Timothy two twelve and 13, Paul writes this. He says, I do not allow a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. Instead, she is to remain quiet. And why? What does he base this off of? Off of this, he says, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. So this is more than because often people object to to our position with saying that uh, Paul's reasoning for uh, choosing only male leadership in, in church eldership. Um, because he allowed women to lead in other ways, was based upon uh, uh, culture. It was, it was really just sociological reasons and not biblical reasons. And, and, and the only reason that he didn't uh, challenge those sociological factors was because he wanted to uh, maintain an effective ministry in their culture. Uh, but I think that this verse uh, contradicts that suggestion, because Paul uh, makes no, uh, no no kind of qualification for, I think, women, uh, I, I sometimes allow women, you know, based on uh, the context or so on. Um, but instead, he bases this in the creation itself, um, in the fact that, he, as he says, Adam was formed first, then Eve. Okay, like I said, I don't have uh, a lot of time to go into a full in-depth Uh, argument for this position or defense of this position. Um, I'd encourage you, if you're really interested in digging deeper into this specific point of church elders, to go and see uh, Alexander Stroup's book, Biblical Eldership. This book right here, uh, one of the most authoritative books on biblical eldership. Uh, He has a chapter called Male Leadership. So that's pages 51 through 66. You can go and read a much fuller uh, defense than what I was able to give now. And so, just real quickly, so we believe that biblical uh, elders are reserved for male leadership. The second point on the qualifications from the Bible is that uh, the character qualifications for church elders are found in two places 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, and Titus uh, 1, 5 through 9. I'm going to read to you the 1 Timothy passage. In 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, Paul wrote, This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to be an overseer, once again, elder, he desires a noble work. An overseer, therefore, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, self-controlled, sensible, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not an excessive drinker, not a bully, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not greedy. He must manage his own household competently and have his children under control with all dignity. If anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of God's church? He must not be a new convert, or he might become conceited and incur the same condemnation as the devil. Furthermore, he must have a good reputation among outsiders, so that he does not fall into disgrace in the devil's trap. Let's consider here the various qualifications that we see just in this one passage, I'm not even getting to Titus yet. Uh, there are a lot. Paul says, first of all, that church elders must be above reproach. This means that they uh, live a lifestyle which has such an exemplary character that they cannot even be uh, blamed. Right? They are uh, th- their conduct is uh, so good that um, they are that you really came to throw accusations against them. Right? So this is uh, so this is above reproach. That's the first one we see. The second one is the husband of one wife. So this means that. Um, there's some debate over some of the fine points of the Greek here, but we can just keep it simple and say, obviously, he is talking about a man being faithful to his wife. That's what he's talking about. Uh, the second point, or sorry, third, uh, self-controlled. Elders need to be men who are self-controlled. Then sensible. We also see respectable. So self-controlled, sensible, uh, respectable, that is pretty closely connected to the above reproach point there. This is a unique one. This is an able teacher. Okay. So just to point that out, an able teacher, one that's a little bit different, maybe, maybe kind of mark that one in your mind. Uh, another good one, an excessive drinker. So someone who is, uh, not given over to drunkenness, uh, and, uh, lacks self-control there, right? So self-controlled, not excessive drinker. Those are certainly connected, uh, gentle. So, um, you know, I think it also says either in that passage we just read or in the, the Titus passage, it says not a bully, but gentle. Right. So uh, that's an important, important attribute for a church elder to have. If they're going to be someone who is uh, correcting people and calling people to uh, repent of sin, you need to be able to be gentle with God's uh, flock whenever you do that. Uh, not quarrelsome. So people who just like to argue don't make good church elders. Not greedy. Uh, once again, church elders exercise a lot of, uh, leadership and authority have access to, uh, sometimes have access to, uh, finances and things that other people don't have. So you want to make sure you don't have somebody who is greedy, who might be uh, tempted to mishandle resources, manages his household competently. As Paul said, if he can't demonstrate leadership and confidence in his own household, how can we expect him to in the church? Uh, Not a new convert. Also another unique one. Maybe one to kind of put in your mind. Remember, we're going to come back to you later. Uh, And then lastly, in the Timothy list, a good reputation among outsiders. So similar to above reproach, but more focused outwardly. We're not going to read the Titus passage. I'm just going to give you another list of what Titus says. Uh, In these two passages, they're almost perfect parallels. Uh, So what we saw in 1 Timothy 3, Titus either also has, or he has in slightly different words or, or a, a couple of different ones or Paul writing to Titus. And so in the Titus passage, we see, uh, Paul also adds not arrogant. says so one that we didn't exactly see right in the first passage, but, uh, not arrogant. So we can say humility, um, not hot tempered, it says in the Titus passage. So this would be one that goes back to that, uh, gentleness aspect to, uh, the not quarrelsome aspect that we saw in First Timothy, uh, but not hot-tempered, right? Hospitable. So that's the uh, yeah that that's the the opposite of being greedy. So in First Timothy, in First Timothy, we see not greedy. That's a lover of money. So in other words, what the two passages together are telling us is that church elders should not be lovers of money, but lovers of people, right? Uh, loving what is good is one of the ones in Titus. In Titus, we also see uh, that church elders should be righteous, that they should be holy in their conduct. So really similar to some of the other things we've seen as well. Holding to the faithful message. So um, that kind of expounds for us and that explains to us what an able teacher means, right? So not just a good communicator, but a communicator who uh, holds on to the faithful message uh, as it is taught in scripture. And then the last one is that able to encourage with sound teaching. So once again, teaching in there again, and also refute those who contradict it. So as we go and close, let me give you just a couple of notes, a couple of reflections on these, uh, these lists. The first one is this with the exception of those two, I told you to keep in mind with the exception of able to teach and not a new convert. This list describes the character which should really characterize all believers. Does any of you guys notice that when we we're going through this, that that everything that was listed, other than those two, are things that really should be true of us all. Uh, if if you're married, right, if you're a man, you should be the husband to one wife. You should be faithful, and vice versa. If you're a wife, you should be uh, the wife of one husband. And uh, you know, we should all be gentle and not hot tempered, not bully, not quarrelsome. We should all pursue righteousness and holiness we should uh, no christian should be uh, an excessive drinker should be self-controlled and and so on and so it describes the character that really all should have with the exception of those two points of not being a new convert um, because eventually you move on from being not new uh, and then also able to teach and so just consider something that this means and i think uh, mark dever explains this really well like what he has to say he says why would this be the case he says, "Because an elder should model a life that that is exemplary for other Christians. You wouldn't want an elder's pattern of life to be something that is unreachable, but something that can be followed." And I, I just think that's a really good. That's one of the best reflections I've ever seen on this, on that, on the nature of these lists and how um, there's nothing really extraordinary uh, about the character qualifications. And I think what Dever says is right on. Is that we want them, uh, church elders to have a list with, uh, I'm sorry, a, uh, a character, um, and the virtues that that list describes. Um, and in that to be something that, um, the people in our churches, um, and that, you know, you and your church, uh, something that you can actually live up to and something that you can follow and something that doesn't just appear to be unreachable to you. Another note on these lists, which is that, um, If you notice, these lists didn't have anything to say about Bible reading habits uh, or prayer habits or, you know, leadership skills or or, or a lot of the other things that a church should really want in an elder. Right. And so what we can point out about these lists is that uh, they are certainly not exhaustive. We can we can add some extra qualifications uh, based off of the roles that the Bible talks about elders need to have what elders do in our churches, we can add some extra uh, qualifications, some extra competencies that we want to see in our church leaders um, adding onto that list. So we certainly cannot take away from that list, but we should also reflect that um, that it's pretty common sense that these lists are not exhaustive. And then the last note is that we should not just assume that because a man uh, is a proven leader in the world, you know, in business or wherever else, that that means that he should be a church elder. Uh, Here's another quote from Dever. Once again, he says, Churches should should search for men of character, reputation, ability to handle the word, and fruitfulness. These qualities should mark the leaders of our church. They live for, not for themselves, but for others. And so, like he said, character, reputation, ability to handle the word, these are the things which we should put first and foremost in what we look for in church elders. And so uh, here's my bibliography and and, and further resources. If you want to learn some more about church elders, well then stick around because like I said, this is going to be a multi-part series and I'm going to do a little bit more uh, in the near future about uh, what church elders are and and what they do and so on. But if you want some extra uh, resources, then I would highly recommend to you uh, this book by Alexander Strock. Uh, biblical Eldership. Uh, like I said, one of the uh, most authoritative books that's out there on this topic. If you want something a little bit smaller and easier, quicker to read, I recommend this little book by Mark Dever called Understanding Church Leadership. Really, really good book um, that covers uh, elders, deacons, uh, church membership, and a lot of other issues. And so uh, I hope you enjoyed your time with us. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of uh, Filter. I hope you come back and join us for another one. If you enjoyed this episode, would you uh, like it? Would you subscribe to our podcast? And especially, would you share it with a friend? And so I just want to thank you guys so much for joining us for this episode. See you again soon.